again to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. We're pleased to have you join us for the program. In some people's lives, it doesn't rain, it pours. Some seem to have more than their share of pain and grief. What's the point of having to suffer the hard stuff? Can any good come from it? It's the question asked by millions of people a million times over. Can there be purpose in pain? Tonight, Dr. Corbett continues in his series of discussions that may very well change your life. Basing his discussions on Rick Warren's book, A Purpose Driven Life, Dr. Corbett explores the importance and the process of finding purpose and meaning for life. Purpose in Pain. Join Dr. Corbett now for the sixth in the series on finding purpose and meaning for life. Finding purpose and meaning in our lives, finding a purpose for our life involves what we do with our lives. Finding meaning for our lives helps us to process not only what we do, but what happens to us and what happens in our lives. To be able to uh, go through difficult circumstances and, and have an attitude that God is in control will help you to put meaning into your life. Recently, I was talking with someone who said, how can you tell me that God is in control of my life, my circumstances, when, and they shared what had been happening in their family, extended family, when so much of this has been happening. And it was a, a fairly horrific case of, uh, of, of abuse and uh, things just totally outside of their control had happened to them and their family. And they said, how can you tell me God is in control? when terrible things like this happen. And of course, we don't always understand how God is able to use the terrible things of life to weave them into his purpose. We don't understand it. I don't understand how God could use terrible, terrible tragedy for his glory. But I know he can and I know he often does. And for the Christian, the ultimate act of God entering into this life was when he himself became a victim of tragedy. When he himself became a victim of suffering and a a victim of death, and that was on the cross. God himself has entered into our pain. And now the cross gives us meaning. It gives our lives a sense that God really is in control and he really does care. And you just thank God that the past is in the past and the scripture says we leave that behind and we press forward. We press forward. You know, we mentioned before that there are potentially, possibly thousands of people right up and down this valley and around this city that have at one stage been in a church and have made a vow that they will never go back. That potentially means that these people have experienced hurt, perhaps humiliation, perhaps some kind of of offence or pain at the, the dealings of other people. And I know that in order for us to become the people that we have to become, we have to learn how to forbear. Forbearance, Scripture says and talks about it in Ephesians chapter 4, is when these things come at us and rather than take them and allow them to hurt us, we keep the bond of peace in the spirit. 
You know, the very fact that the Bible says that we have to work at unity, keep the bond of peace in the spirit, means that there is something that we actively have to do in order to keep our hearts right. So now as we look at finding purpose and meaning for our lives, I want to recap what we've looked at so far because these things are not just for Christians. And sometimes we're looking for micro detail. We're looking for God to tell us what colour shirt to put on. We're looking for God to tell us what route to take to get to work or school or whatever. And I'm just not sure that that's what our relationship with God is supposed to be like. I think we need to get the basics in place first. And the basics include, number one, to know God. Jeremiah, I'd like you to turn to this. Jeremiah chapter 9 and verse 24. Jeremiah chapter 9 verse 24. Well, I wonder what God regards as something that's worthy of boasting about. I mean, what, what possible bragging rights could anybody have? They can't brag about their power compared to God. That's a ridiculous thing to brag about. They can't brag about their wealth, once again, compared to God. There's nothing to brag about. They can't brag. What, what can you brag about? What can you boast about? Well, Jeremiah tells us the one thing that God allows people to boast about. Jeremiah chapter 9 and verse 24. Uh, we'll start at verse 23. Thus says the Lord, let, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. Verse 24. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. God says there's only one thing worth boasting about. And that is that we know him. It's an audacious sounding thing to say to the world, I know God. I know God. But you know what? I do. I do. I've come to know God. I've come to experience him. I've come to know when he's talking to me. I don't always get it right, but I know that God is a God who is exactly as it describes there, a God of steadfast love, a God of justice and a God of righteousness, a God who understands where I'm at. I've come to know that God. You can boast in that. If you really want to find what life is all about, as I heard the words of a song, if you want to find yourself, you have to start by finding him. We have to know God. You can be religious and still not know God. The second thing that God wants us to do in order to get the basic foundation of purpose right in our lives is to fellowship with God's people. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25 says this, Don't neglect to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. 
The Bible tells us not to neglect, to meet together. I found this, that when the Spirit of God enters your heart, you want to join with believers. It's as simple as that. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, it describes the first Christians. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship. It's interesting that those two things were the two things that the early church recognised would help them grow. You know, we can sit in a church service and receive teaching from God's word, and that will help us grow. But there's another aspect where that teaching is then carried out in how we interact with each other. When somebody perhaps says something to us that encourages us. You know, the Bible says a man is tested by his praise. The kind of, you ever thought about this? Sometimes we've learnt to process hurt and offence. And, and I think we all need to do that. We all need to know how to forgive and let it go. But the Bible says you, your heart will be tested when others praise you. Now there's a thought. Fellowship not only corrects, and there's often a big emphasis on the, the correcting element of fellowship. But you know, fellowship also encourages. How do you feel? What is your instant response when somebody in the church encourages you? For some, you can tell what their, you know, their view of their life is when someone encourages them. Often, you know, if I've encouraged someone, for some people they've immediately put themselves down. And I think, where did that come from? Why are they doing that? You know, we're not meant to be putting ourselves down or anyone else down. And to have fellowship means that we will encourage each other so that we grow. I think the nicest response we can make when somebody encourages us is to say thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate that. I, um, in the early days of ministry, not so much now, I used to get more hate mail than encouraging mail. And I've got, I've got, a, I've got two files in my desk. One I look at and one I don't. The one I look at, well, I used to keep, I used to keep the hate mail. It's about that thick. Now I just chuck it straight out. Some of it I don't even open. You'll be pleased to know, whoever you are. <laughs> Most of the hate mail I get is from people who don't even know me. Bizarre. And now, some of it, if they, put, if they dare to put a return address on it, I just write return to the accuser of the brethren and put it back in the, the postal system. And I've got another file, my encouragement file, and it's really thin. And uh, just recently, you know, you just kind of hit some of those low patches and I thought, blow it, I'm not going to file this stuff. I'm going to put it on my little bookshelf here. So I've got, all the, I've, got all the, I've, got, I've got my six cards and I put them there and I can just look across at my desk and look at them and go, well, somebody loves me. Be encouraged. <laughs> and I want to focus on the encouragement. And this is what I'm saying. Sometimes someone can say something negative to you and sometimes... Ten people could say something positive to you. And what are you more likely to focus on? The negative. And I don't want to do that. I remember hearing years ago that Brian Houston refuses to read critical mail. He refuses to, to allow people to come and criticise him. I thought, oh, gee, that's not fair. I have to. 
And I thought, well, hang on. He must be doing that for a reason. Then I realised it just takes one critic to mess up your whole week. just takes one person to say a negative thing to mess you up. And the Bible says you're really going to be tested when somebody praises you, when somebody encourages you. And that's the power of fellowship. It doesn't mean we have to get arrogant. It doesn't mean we have to get proud and puffed up. But there is a sense in which we have to strengthen each other with positive words. It says in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. As we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we will have fellowship with one another. The next purpose, so the first purpose is to know God. The second purpose is to be in fellowship with God's people. The third purpose is to grow, to be like Jesus. It says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 29, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. It says there that God has predestined for you to be conformed to the image of his son. It is God's purpose for your life to be transformed, to become like Christ. Rick Warren says, the closer you get to Jesus the less you need to promote yourself. Not a profound thought. The closer you get to Jesus, the more you allow God to make you like Jesus, the less you've got to promote yourself. The fourth purpose, or the fifth or wherever we're at, fifth, is to serve God with our gifts. Romans chapter 12, verse 11. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Other translations have serve the Lord with enthusiasm. Serve the Lord with enthusiasm. Well, I've discovered something about this. I've discovered that when you do the first four of these things, this fifth one kicks in. In fact, when you come to know God, it logically leads to the next one, come into fellowship with God's people. As you come into fellowship with God's people and you're coming to know God and, and oh, I missed worship in there, sorry. Part of our role is to worship God. To worship God is our second purpose. When you come to know God, you can't but help worship him. And as we worship God, as we worship him, it says in John chapter 4 and verse 23, but the hour is coming and now is here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Note this, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. In other words, it is God's purpose for your life that you worship, that you worship him. I want to be a person of worship. My kids, I want my kids to know that daddy worships. 
I want my kids to know. When, when I came down with Zoe yesterday and Zoe helped me you know, rearrange things and take things off the table, I started singing just a new song to the Lord just as we're setting up. And Zoe, as she was rearranging the tables out there, she started singing a new song. I thought, that's fantastic. I want to worship God. It comes from knowing God. As we know God, as we worship God, there's something in our heart that yearns for fellowship with God's people. As we're in fellowship with God's people, there's something that stirs in our heart that we change. Sometimes it comes from pain. Sometimes it comes when people say things to us. Sometimes it comes when, the, when that big, bad, mean pastor asks us to do something that we don't want to do. And that causes us to stretch and grow. And we become more like Christ. And then we get to this one. Where we serve God with our gifts. I like what Rick Warren says about worship. Just, just coming back to this one. He says... When God is the centre of your life, you worship. When he's not, you worry. That is more profound than most of us realise. So, to serve God with our gifts. Galatians 5 and verse 13 says this, and if you understand the book of Galatians, it talks about being saved without having to keep the law, the, the ceremonies, the rituals, the sacrifices. It then Paul then talks about how we've received the Holy Spirit who has worked God's grace into our lives. And then he's now coming into this home stretch, Galatians chapter 5, where he says this, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. In 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10, it says this, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. And in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 11, it continues on. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. And I think we need to underline that if you haven't already in your Bible. We serve with the strength that God supplies. Some of us are looking for strength before we need it. But you note there, it's the strength that God supplies as we serve him. Some of us, and I, and I'm, I think sometimes the task that we undertake for God just becomes so, at times, over, overwhelming that we think, how on earth am I even going to do this? And that's the point, you don't. It's the strength that God gives you to do it as you need it. It, it goes on and, and it says, In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Romans chapter 12 and verse 6 says this, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith and so on. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 7, the same point again, that God's grace, with God's grace comes God's gifts. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 7, but grace was given to each one of us, 
according to the measure of Christ's gift. Each one of us has a gift. Each one of us has some supernatural ability that we can do. And tonight we're going to talk a little bit more about that, but I'll give you a clue. When we want to really discover what it is that God has put within us as a gift, often the clue comes when we ask ourselves what really upsets us the most. What is it that makes you angry? What is it that upsets you? For me, it's ignorance. When I hear people say stupid things, I get angry. That's because I'm a teacher. For other people, when they, when they see somebody being taken advantage of, they get angry because perhaps there's a pastoral or a compassion or a mercy gift there. For other people, when they see poverty, it makes them angry. Perhaps there's a gift of giving there. For some people, when they see things that are disorganised, it makes them angry because there's a leadership gift there. What is it that upsets you? What is it that you get angry about? There's a clue as to the gift that God may have given you. Paul, writing to Timothy, said in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 14, Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. When you know God, when you know God, as we said before with this progression, when you know God, you will serve him and others. Over the years... Whenever, whenever I've wanted to teach on serving, whenever I wanted to teach on using your gifts, I've actually focused on what the Bible says about serving, what the Bible says about gifts. And for a long time, I didn't connect God's ultimate purpose for our lives. Because when you know him, when you know him, you will worship him. When you worship him, you will want to come into fellowship with God's people. When you come into fellowship with God's people, you will allow the Spirit of God to change you to become more like Christ. When that progression is happening in your life, you will want to serve God. You'll want to. But it starts with knowing God. Knowing God. It doesn't matter if anybody sees. It doesn't matter if anybody stands on the sidelines and claps and cheers and applauds doesn't matter if anybody knows because God does and we do it for him in Romans chapter 1 and verse 9 it says this God whom I serve with my whole heart in preaching the gospel of his son is my witness how constantly I remember you the point there is this and I'll just share another couple of references there where Paul says I love God I love God with all my heart and because Paul loved God with all his heart, he served God. He served God. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. And I've heard people say, the way to love God is to serve God. And I don't think that's quite what Jesus was saying. If you love me, you will serve me. I mean, you'll, you'll, you'll just do it because you love me. See the difference. One is saying, if you love me, you better do this for me. And I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. There's a natural heart response to the love of God that says, God, I want to serve you. I want to do what you want. That's a heart response. Rick Warren says this about serving. Real servants don't try to use God for their purposes. They let God use them for his. 
he notes this. Real servants of Christ think more about others than themselves. They think like stewards, not owners. In other words, everything you have is not yours. It's on loan to you. It's ultimately God's. Thirdly, they think about their work, not the work of others. In other words, we do what we have to do and we do it well. And then he says they base their identity in Christ and they regard service as an opportunity, not an obligation. I wonder how many people have heard of Nicholas Herman. Nicholas Herman. Let me tell you about this man. Nicholas Herman lived in the 17th century from 1605 to 1691. He was noted as being an exceptionally ugly man. He was uncoordinated, couldn't speak very well. He was a Frenchman. He had a lot of things not going for him. Nicholas Herman. He was a foot soldier in the French army. And he was discharged due to ill health. And then he had an amazing encounter with God. This man who was slightly, not quite right, socially awkward. And in 1666, so he's now getting into his 50s, he has this wonderful encounter with God. And Nicholas Herman applied to become a monk. They took one look at him and said, no way. I don't know what the criteria was, but if it was ugly, he was out at the first post. And Nicholas Herman was a little bit distraught and he he just, a simple man, very unlearned, rejected by society, applied to the Sisters of Mount Carmel. How is this desperate? A man applying to a nunnery. He said, is there anything I can do to help? The Carmelite sisters. And there was one job that everybody hated, and that was being the kitchen hand. And they said to Nicholas Herman, if you want, you can be the kitchen hand to the Carmelite sisters. So in 1666, Nicholas Herman became a kitchen hand, preparing meals, but mainly cleaning up the scraps. The sisters began to notice something different about Nicholas Herman. They noticed beyond the grotesque features and the awkward, unlearned socialness that he, that he hadn't quite a you know, got everything right, but they began to notice there was something about Nicholas Herman. There was something about him. They began to notice that when he wasn't in in his duties, he was in the chapel. They began to notice that, that he had a peace about him that they had been searching for for years. They began to notice, and one sister asked Nicholas, why are you different? And he shared the story of his conversion and it was an absolutely utter, genuine conversion. And she said, yes, but some of us have had that, but why are you different? He said, because I have learned 
the practice of the presence of God every day. And so taken by Nicholas Herman, the sisters renamed him Brother Lawrence. And in response to the questions that they asked him, he wrote down the prayers that he was praying. And after his death, that book was published, The Practice of the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence, which has gone on to be either the second or third biggest selling book of all time. The Practice of the Presence of God. This man, who thought he was nothing, has literally influenced millions down to the present age with this book, The Practice of of the presence of God. He was able to use his gifts and develop the purposes that God had for him. As we seek to serve God, as we seek to live out the purposes of God, we're going to find fulfilment. It may not be the success that the world says you should boast about, as we saw in Jeremiah 9.24. It may not be that you have degrees on your wall. It may not be that you have the flashiest car or the whatever. But you can know the purpose of God in your life when you come to know him. When you truly abandon yourself and become a worshipper of him, allow Christ to change your life. Come into the fellowship of his people. And then offer up the gifts that God has given you back in service to him. In this church, we love people to attend. We love that. But there's more. Becoming a servant, becoming someone who can use their gifts. Now that means in this church, there's going to be things that are done within the church and for the church. But, you know, one of the things I've noticed the Spirit of God doing over the last few years is that he's taking people outside of these four walls and using them and their gifts to minister to our society. I think that's fantastic. May there be more. That includes the people who are school teachers, people who are in business, people who are in city mission, all the people that are a part of this church that are actively involved in using their gifts. Why don't you open up your heart right now and allow God to have his way in your life? Let's pray. Father, I pray that we might come to know you increasingly and that as a result, every person here would have an encounter with you so that they can serve you like never before. Now, Father, if there be any within the sound of my voice and they've never come to know you, they've never surrendered to you, they've never said, there must be more to life. Well, there is. And it begins with a prayer. Perhaps for you, the prayer could be, God, are you real? That can be a prayer. Perhaps for those who sense that God is real, that prayer could be, God, reveal yourself to me. And for those people who have been on the outside, on the outskirts of a walk with God, perhaps it's time to say, God, have your way in my life, I pray.
And I pray that will indeed be the prayer of everyone here today. In Jesus' name. Finding purpose and meaning for life. Leaving pain in the past and allowing God to use the experience for his purpose. Is that for you? I encourage you to stay with us as Dr. Corbett concludes his exploration of finding purpose and meaning for life next week. If you'd like to listen again to tonight's program, you may like to purchase a CD copy for $5.50, including postage and handling. Just contact Lagana Media at P.O. Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania, 7277. Please quote the program title, Finding Purpose and Meaning, Session 6. Finding Truth Matters resources are also available via the website at www.findingtruthmatters.org. If you'd like to subscribe to Finding Truth Matters monthly e-newsletter Perspectives, visit findingtruthmatters.org and click subscribe. Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett is a production of Lagana Media. We look forward to joining you at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.